everyone, and welcome to the Rising Stars podcast. I am your host, Brianna Moriarty. Today, we have Joe Hazenzall from Samsung with us. Joe is the Senior Manager of Business Development and Retail for Samsung Mobile B2B and has spent many years working in the industry and becoming an expert in the retail space. You'll easily be able to see from this um, episode his passion for retail and his perspective from not only the bar and kind of art industry, but from the store owners, employees, and even the consumers themselves. So without further ado, I would like to welcome to the episode, Joe Hazenzaw. Hey, Joe, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. My pleasure. So can you start off just by telling our listeners um, more about yourself and your background in retail and your role at Samsung? Sure. I started off, my passion comes from the fact that I was a busboy was my first job in, in hospitality. And then I moved up to systems pretty quickly. So I spent a lot of time deploying and selling point of sale and then migrated from hospitality to retail, uh, frontline payments, the whole nine yards, deploying nationwide solutions. And then kind of took a step back from point of sale and moved more to experiential technology. So how could we understand better how people are shopping within retail environments and create more friction-free transactions and and interactions for that. And now I'm back at Samsung and it's all kind of full circle. It's not only, it's every piece of technology along, not just the customer journey, but the associate journey, right? And and it's kind of interesting that all these pillars are are now competing for dominance and and technology to, to deliver this new and evolving experience for shoppers and associates within environments. And not just retail too, it's also hospitality, it's hotels. It's, it's everywhere currency is exchanged. It's so hard to not paint retail with the broadest stroke imaginable. Definitely. So I think a lot of people, when they think of Samsung, just think of consumer products. They don't realize um, Samsung's play in the retail hospitality or just business space in general. So can you tell us a little bit more about um, Samsung's mobile B2B division and how uh, retail kind of plays into the overall picture? Sure. It's really interesting you talk about consumer DNA because if you think about it, I don't care what your real job is, you're a consumer, <laughs> Yeah. right? And there's something to be said for having a tremendous amount of expertise in how consumers use the devices. Because what we're seeing is the blurring of the line between shopper and associate. Mm-hmm. We're seeing factors that are so familiar to consumers being used in enterprises, right? right? Because that helps with the adoption rate of the technology. So while competition may have things like enterprise grade or lots of buttons and big clunky devices, those, those, those take a minute. Those are mm-hmm. not something that you can instantly pick up and, and go to town with. So we were in a unique position to leverage this tremendous amount of consumer experience we have, but we've done all the things you need to, to make those devices thrive in an enterprise ecosystem. So it's not just things like ruggedization and swappable batteries and, and, and speeds and feeds. And that's not my strength. That's not where I want to spend a lot of time talking, right. but it's all right. the, the tools that keep those devices alive in an enterprise to make sure that we're delivering on the ROI we promised up front. So is the device being used? Is it being charged? Where is that device? How do we make right. sure that are using devices for things they're supposed to be using them for. So it's this whole idea that the lines are blurring everywhere and taking advantage of what what makes us really unique in the consumer space and applying that over to the B2B space. 
Definitely. So prior to today's episode and our little pre-interview, um, we spent some time talking about what you defined as the three pillars of the future of retail. So let's talk about that and tell us how you kind of came to this conclusion of the three pillars. Sure. So before the pandemic, cons- customer experience was it, right? That's all we talked about in retail, customer experience, customer experience. Mm-hmm. And that did a lot of things for technology teams. First off, customer experience lives squarely in the realm of marketing, right? So now technology had to be adapted to a whole new decision maker, mm-hmm. right? Marketing teams were making decisions about technology dollars being spent. And, and that's important for us because that starts to set a trend. So that was the first pillar and that's not going anywhere, right? If you wanted to spend money on technology, that's where it went and went to customer. Okay, then the pandemic hits. And now things change pivot dramatically, where it's not just the customer experience that's important, but now we've got to take into account these new trends we're seeing in shopping where inventory is now critical. To the point now where I would argue that inventory is an organism. It's not just a, a ledger anymore. There's all this information we have about inventory and how it works. You know, if you think about things like people who monitor automobile traffic and, and congestion and all that thing, it's the same thing that it takes on this life of itself between buy online, pick up at curb, buy online, pick up at store. We know buy online, return at curb is coming, right? Mm -hmm. We need to be able to start transacting at curb and that requires inventory and technology. To make it even worse, pre-pandemic inventory is a one-to-one thing. There's one shopper looking for one item. That's not the case anymore. Now that one shopper looking for that elusive Lego set is competing against the buy online, pick up at curb representative the e-commerce competitive uh, associate because now everyone is turning their stores to distribution centers and even an Instacart. So you have potentially four people competing for that same piece of physical inventory within a space. Mm -hmm. And that makes inventory critical because you start seeing that they're all interconnected, right? Customer experience isn't just about a pleasant shopping environment. It is now, if you don't get that item, it's not only costing you money retailer, it's costing you a customer experience. And then now post-pandemic, where we're talking about the changes in hiring practices, we hear it all the time. Nobody wants to work in retail. That's exaggeration and overstatement and a little doom and gloom. But there's a reality here that retailers are struggling to fill roles within their organizations. So what are they doing to attract and retain associates? And one of the things we're starting to see is that retailers are deploying mobile devices to associates. And and there's twofold. It does two really important things for retailers. First, it eliminates some of the friction on the associate journey, right? If you're not constantly running back and forth to different systems to get the answer you need to do your job, hopefully that eliminates some of the friction in your job. Mm -hmm. Second thing is now we're starting to put more and more things onto mobile devices. We're really mirroring what consumers have been doing for years with smartphones, right? If you think about it, 2007, this first big smartphone comes out. All of a sudden, you don't need to carry a camera and a DVD player and an MP3 player and a notepad and a compass and (laughs) and a phone, right? It's all starting to consolidate. So we're seeing the same thing now uh, at the enterprise grade. So the same device now can also be time and attendance, can be corporate communications, can be a walkie-talkie. We're not even talking about things that are necessary proprietary to retail here. This is an hourly associate play. These are, these are themes and functions that resonate regardless of the vertical. So now put them all together and you start seeing how shopper behavior, 
associate behavior, inventory behavior are all intertwined to create a successful retail experience. And, you know, customer experience, I want to go back. My, my perspective here is it's not just about net promoter score. Right. Customer experience really has to be quantified as more productive shopping experiences where shoppers are either buying more or coming in more frequently. Right. That, that's the yeah. real litmus test. Did, did we get it right? I completely agree. Um, I, and we've talked about this, you know, offline that experiential retail is thought to be some huge, you know, never seen before experience and everyone loves that. But really what the shopper just wants is for it to be frictionless. They just want to be able to go into the store and get what they saw was available online and get out of there seamlessly. So this is funny. It's, I don't care about surprise and delight. Get it right. (laughs) Right. Look, look, I I get it. We we all want a warm environment. We want to feel safe, secure. We want to be able to wayfind it and 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 have those cool moments. But Mm -hmm. it all is for naught if you don't have the product I want. Absolutely. Right. Or or there's a friction point. Right. It's so easy to undermine and derail all this effort for experience when you when you encounter an associate who doesn't have the information you need, Mm -hmm. or you as a shopper have better information on your phone. Or point like you can't even find anybody. Right. So, so the reallocating dollars and thinking about the associate journey as part of customer experience is going to be a really big deal for us. Definitely. So I do want to go back to um, what you talked about, kind of the staffing issue that retailers and even restaurants, pretty much across the board, any type of minimum wage type of job, if you will, um, you know, businesses are having a really hard time staffing those people. So you know, you talked about how store owners and managers can respond to this, um, kind of arming these employees with mobile devices. I think in our industry, what's talked about a lot is replacing the staff with technology, with self-service kiosks and things like that. But you seem to look at it as more of a compliment. Tell me more about kind of your thought process there. I don't ever want to replace humans with technology. Of course, right. Uh, I just want to, I want to supplement them. I want mm-hmm. to give them the tool they need to be more effective. And look, if we get it right, maybe that'll help ease some of the pressure that staffing shortages are creating. You know, you mentioned hospitality. Let's take a minute and talk about table service. If you can equip your servers with mobile devices for table side point of sale, it's a couple things really happen. A couple of great things happen. The servers spend more time on the floor. They're more attentive. Right. So that's good. That's good customer service. Right. Second thing is they're more accurate. There's no more. Oh, dang it. What kind of dressing did you want? Right. Mm-hmm. There's no more. Did you want that up on the rocks? The, the order accuracy improves and table turns are faster. Right. right. No one's waiting for their check anymore. That's why you see the proliferation of, of devices on the tape on the table. I'm not sure I love that either. But the ability to respond immediately is, is, is helping here. So you've got, you've got more engaged customers, more engaged associates. You've got better order accuracy and faster table turns. Is it mm-hmm. reasonable to then pull it out that if you're doing this, that maybe you could even run with fewer servers and still provide great service? If you're, if you're struggling to staff people, if we could give them technology that helps you compensate and, and do more with less, I, I think that's a win, mm-hmm. right? Because we know that, task management and retail, you're all over the place. You know, mm-hmm. you may have these three things you've got to get done, but your customers are going to interrupt you. It's right. fascinating to think about this because Trader Joe's deliberately restocks during the day because it forces yeah. happy collisions between customers and associates. So being able to take advantage of that and have the answers to turn that into a profitable, successful transaction, it's a big deal. 
Definitely. I spent many of my high school, college years, um, waiting tables. And I remember, you know, I would take a table's order, I'd have it all written down. And then on my way to put it into the POS system, I'd get stopped by another table, you know, asking for a refill and then 20 minutes go by. And I'm like, oh crap, I haven't entered their order. So I, I definitely see the benefit. Um, you know, I try to be patient now, uh, being a, a diner at those restaurants, but I totally see the issues. Um, that, you know, those retail workers, restaurant workers are faced with every day. So, you know, a lot of businesses, they're offering hiring incentives. Um, You know, they're doing everything to get retail employees back in the stores. What is the incentive that people really need to get back into retail? Wow. Um, You know, I think it kind of, this is an interesting way way to pivot this, right? Mm -hmm. So two things are happening that are not great that that we see and, and i'm not sure if i'm going to answer that question directly but let's talk about why retail is so difficult to work in right now mm-hmm. just based on humans so let's talk about consumers right buzzfeed is littered with horrible headlines of bad behavior in retail right and it's not so hard to figure out why once you understand how humans work so there was a study done by bell labs that uh, that asserts that humans can process let's say 120 bits of information per second. So bear with me, that's as technical as I'm gonna get. Mm -hmm. This conversation between the two of us is taking up 60 bits per second. So we can barely have two conversations without using up all of our brains. So now let's take that and apply it to a shopper in a retail environment. How many inputs are we throwing at them, right? So where they've hit hit or surpassed that threshold. Because I can tell you, once you pass that threshold, the first thing that goes offline, so to speak, is people skills. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's one, right? So now let's look at it from the associate's perspective with a with a different a, di- a different system. Let's talk about fight or flight, right? Inherent to humans, your fight or flight system is limbic system is activated in one fifth of a second. You can't even consciously turn it off. Mm-hmm. So now you have a, a, a customer whose people skills are offline. And you have an associate who's overreacting to any imperceived slight. And you put right. them together, what could possibly go wrong? Disaster. <laughs> right? right? So look at this oversimplification and there, there's more to it. But so what does it look like to start taking away some of that friction, mm-hmm. right? To start, to start making it easier to solve the problem. So how do we make retail fun again? Mm-hmm. Or, or at least not as stressful or at least not as, as awful as it can be. Right. And I think part of that is taking the friction out by giving people. So money is good. Right. But, you know, until you start addressing holistically your shopping environment, how can you remove some of the stimuli that's that is throwing shoppers over the edge? Mm-hmm. You know, and what, what are the frustration points in the shopper journey? We went back to this before, you know, that's great. You have a shiny new fixture and beautiful mannequins. But if you're frustrating me because I can't find an item or it's stocked out or associates aren't available, what are we doing to address that? You're right. So right. this is such a chicken and an egg story. You can pay them more. That's good. But is it, is it going to last? Because retention, attraction, and retention is going to be more and more and more important. It's, it's good if you get them in the store, but how do you keep associates there? The losses we talk about, the, the hits to productivity and the, and the dollar amount, because turnover is so high is, is top of mind for so many retailers. Definitely. It's like, we've got to do something about this because it's not just quantifiable hours and dollars, but there are hits to morale and customer experience that aren't necessarily as quantifiable. Mm-hmm. So, so 
so I don't have the silver bullet here, but part of it has got to be thinking about it holistically and not just exalting customer experience as the end all be all answer at retail or inventory. It, it's it, these things are interconnected and have to be looked at that way. Definitely. And I think the reality is that retailers are going to have to learn to do more with less. Um, so you know, we touched on that already, um, equipping retail associates with um, mobile devices to help them kind of keep everything connected. But can you go into a little more detail on how that would work? Well, yeah, if you think about it, there are so many different things that have to happen. So we had a great call with IDC this week about research and mm-hmm. talking about these trends. What, what are you seeing in retail? And you can tell what's important within, within the vertical based on where retailers are spending money. So I assert that there are three pillars. IDC broke it out a little bit further, right? So it's not just customer experience. They talk about it in retention and profitability. Mm -hmm. It's not just inventory. They talk about omni-channel readiness and accuracy. And the thinking on associates is not quite where we are at Samsung, that connected associates are a big deal. It's Mm -hmm. more about associate productivity. So if you you take a look at these pillars and then giving people the tools to solve these. But it was interesting that the first thing that IDC asserted was that baseline communications between associates would be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Just the idea of merely equipping people with a device that had a simple functionality like push to talk or walkie talkies would be a tremendous boon, would be a tremendous improvement. Definitely. I think that these changes, I don't think we're going to have a big massive silver bullet. I think we're going to have little micro solutions that all start to come together and work together to deliver a better experience for everybody. Right. It is the ability that I've got it at my fingertips where I can find out much faster than I could before. You know, there are retailers that have a three to one associate to device ratio. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there, there are some that are worse than that. So that means that 66% of your associates don't have the answer in their hand for when they talk to a customer. Right. And that's probably one of the most frustrating things. Clearly. You know, it's so funny. I make a joke about if I were to say the phrase, now I'm an associate and I say to you, well, it says we have three here, dot, dot, dot. And pick from the choices. What's the most number one answer you're going to hear? Play Family Feud. It's always wrong, <laughs> right? If right. it says less than five, it's it's always wrong. Yeah. Well, we don't know where it is. This thing is always wrong. It, it always boils down to this. So we've got to get past this. We've got to get technology that works and delivers results that we can trust. You know, and then we can start going. Then we can start going crazy with with all this amazing emerging stuff about AI and VR and, and all these wonderful technologies. But it, it, until we get the fundamentals, right? You know, let's focus on them. Absolutely. Well, I definitely want to um, discuss this further, but we're just going to take a really quick break to talk about STARS Universal M Enclosure. With the way that technology advances today, it seems like as soon as you get the latest tablet, there's a newer version available. For retailers and restaurants, this constant upgrade can be frustrating because it requires new tablet enclosures. Not anymore. STAR's new Universal M Enclosure works with any Samsung, Apple, or Windows tablet. Featuring expanding arms, visa mounting, and clean cable management, the future-proof Universal M Enclosure means that just because you buy a new tablet doesn't mean you need to buy a new enclosure. The Universal M Enclosure has a locking arm feature to prevent theft and can expand to fit a 12.9 inch tablet. Expand your business today with STARS Universal M Enclosure. Learn more at starmicronics.com. All right, Joe. So we, we touched on inventory issues as well, and that's kind of an issue not only in retail, but pretty much any industry that you look in right now. Um, So what is kind of the driving force between the inventory shortages in retail today? It's a combination of a couple of things, right? So it's definitely the supply chain. 
mm-hmm. and, and demand, right? Who knew that toilet paper was going to become the most important commodity ever? <laughs> right. So, 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 so there's, there's predictive supply chain issues, but then there's this whole other problem with frozen inventory mm-hmm. where the, the product is in stock. It's just not available. It's not on the shelves. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so th- these are all conspiring to create a disaster. Right. So we, every retail, we walk in, we see empty shelves all the time. So how much of it is, is really supply chain? How much of it is just bad mm-hmm. systems or ineffective systems or the inability to capture more information to get it right? And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's what, where this, this whole idea of adding more dimensions to inventory so we can better understand it. And, mm-hmm. and I think the, and I think that's what's kind of cool is that now you've got devices who using onboard cameras that can start using computer vision and object recognition to help solve that problem. It's not going to take an expensive ruggedized device with a, a long range scanner to help solve this mm-hmm. is as we have more people updating inputs about inventory and, and adjusting data sets, not just on hands, but where are they located? I think that's going to start solving the problem for us. Look, we're, we're never going to, the supply chain can't keep up with the fickle nature of humans. Right. And, and, and the ever-changing environment, who would have predicted seriously in 1999, I, I would have bought Charmin stock. That's 2019, sorry, 20, 20, 1999 flashback. <laughs> you know, 2019, buy paper goods. But, uh-huh. you know, so inventory is always going to be a problem. But now can we start narrowing down or at least limiting some of the, the friction points or the volatility variability by applying more rigor to it? And I think, you know, we haven't even started talking about this, but I think that's where AI is really going to start helping us get this right. Mm-hmm. Because this idea now that we can start getting store level hyper local mm-hmm. data to start optimizing assortments. It, it's instead of just classifying stores based on where they are, they urban, are they suburban, are they exurban? What's the, what's the demographic mix? We can start really understanding shopper behavior at that store level to optimize assortments. So right. how many times do you go into a store where you're looking for something and it's, it's completely off the shelf It's store number one and there are 10 of them on the shelf in store number two? Mm-hmm. Okay. How do we get that wrong? Do we allocate that incorrectly because we we misjudge shopper behavior? You know, what's the difference? How do how can we start optimizing this? Because that inventory sitting in store two is not doing its job. Right. right? It's right. aging and it's costing money when it's stocked out on store one. That's kind of interesting. Is how do we start optimizing before it even gets to the shelf where it needs to go? Yeah, that's a great point. So we also talked about, um, you know, the the point of sale, the classic, this is where your transaction happens, turning into the point of decision in brick and mortar. Um, you know, for example, I can't tell you how many times I go into Target and, you know, I'm I'm usually there for things I don't need. And I'm standing there struggling with, do I buy this? Do I not? I, I don't really need it. And if someone came right up to me and asked if I was ready to check out, I'd probably buy the product. So tell us more about that and kind of what that means to transition to more of a point of decision model. That's it, right? A point of sale is dead, long way right. point of decision, right? So the phrase abandoned cart that's been adopted by e-commerce, come on, mm-hmm. where'd it come from? It happens Retail. whether it's e-commerce or in-store, it happens. In-store, how many times, and, it, and you know, the worst part is how many times you see a perishable item? Mm-hmm. How many times you see ground beef stuck in the deodorant aisle, right? right? So, <laughs> and I'm not asserting that, you know, the, the big box may not be the best answer here, but if you think about 
complicated product or large product, the ability to meet that shopper where they're making their decision helps do that. But it's, it's even better from an ROI perspective for retailers. So if you think about it, and for and for all of us, right? So if you think about our, our associates, call her Jennifer. She meets a customer in the aisle of a home improvement store that's looking at a vanity, right? Mm-hmm. So Jennifer can whip out her mobile device, use the onboard camera to capture the barcode, collect a contactless payment, mm-hmm. and, and get that thing loaded up while the customer goes out and pulls her car around. Okay, phenomenal customer experience. Jennifer feels good about herself. Inventory is accurate. We did it with an off-the-shelf device all this stuff. But now the cool thing about this is because it's it's changing, but it's not changing that quickly. If we say something like all cashiers up front, we, you know, to the cash lanes, now Jennifer can walk up to a cash lane, dock her mobile device and have that thing power a full on fixed point of sale station mm-hmm. with cash drawers and barcode scanners and payment devices and touch screens, all that kind of stuff with the same device. Right. Right. So now, so now you've really added the flexibility for when you can take advantage of, of meeting a shopper where they're making that decision and then adapting to a shopper in a more traditional uh, workflow. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of a great time to be able to do this. And then so you, now you start adding on functionalities to this mobile device that really enrich that customer experience. Mm-hmm. Things like guided sell. And, and the other thing that I'm really keen on is AI driven product recommendations. Now, this is a a bone of contention here. When I buy something at the largest world's marketplace online that's durable, and then they recommend more versions of that durable product to me, that's a bad recommendation. But what we're seeing is uh, this idea that associates are presented with recommendations before they're shown to the shopper. Mm -hmm. And then the associate can mark the ones that are relevant. So that, that does two things that trains the AI engine to make better recommendations. Mm-hmm. And it also prevents, prevents this idea that it's always wrong, right? Right. Let's, it, it, we're, we're recommending the wrong product. This, this is cool, right? So now the point of decision is enhanced with a, a very successful customer experience. So that, that's what I love this idea. And, and that's becoming a, a, a reality. We can do this now. It's not just a pipe dream with an expensive mobile device. This is a consumer pretty much off the shelf device that can start processing transactions, whether they're mobile or fixed. Exactly. So let's talk about the whole point of decision versus self-checkout. Self-checkout is, you know, growing in a lot of different areas in retail and I'm seeing it in pharmacies now. And I think you know, the, the industry kind of thinks that's the next big thing. That's what people want. Um, millennials are making up more buying power. We like to interact with tablets instead of people. However, huh. from my experience, um, no one knows how to operate a self-checkout um, or there's issues. So tell me about how, you know, the, the whole point of decision approach not only helps get employees back into the brick and mortar spaces, um, it helps provide a better customer experience, but kind of let's, let's compare and contrast the two. So what's interesting here is the, the problem with self-checkout, not a problem. The, the, the thing we're trying to solve with self-checkout is it has to replace a human. And going right. back to the earlier point. So as a result, you've now got 32 seconds to train my mom <laughs> on how to, how to be a cashier, right? right? And, and to take coupons and loyalty and gift cards and all that kind of stuff. It's inherently fraught with mm-hmm. speed bumps. Like if you get straightforward transactions, awesome. As long mm-hmm. as you're not buying liquor, 
right? Straightforward <laughs> transaction, it can be phenomenal, but you add variables and that's, that's, that's going to be a problem for us consistently. Mm -hmm. There's so many different forms of payment. There's so many limitations or, or speed bumps in the transaction. So now going back to this earlier conversation, let's just supplement people with decision. And, and I'll be clear, I'm an advocate. I love self-checkout. I think mm -hmm. we're going to see some amazing evolutions that are going to solve those problems, right? Definitely. Smarter, more intuitive checkout. You know, that's going to be, they're good. Like there's some really good examples out there with a very good workflow. Um, it's, it's interesting what they're doing. If you see this next time you're at a big box retail and mm -hmm. you self-checkout, go to, go to fix checkout or next time the UI is the same. Yeah. Right. The cashier UI is now exactly the same as mm -hmm. the customer UI. Right. And then that's smart because cashiers are customers. And if it works for customers, why wouldn't you do it for cashiers? They, they right. can be trained and more effective quicker. So mm -hmm. there, there's some good things and there's some good overlaps here. Um, what's really going to be interesting about self-checkout self is more along the lines of self-healing self-checkout, right? Because part of the mm -hmm. cost of self-checkout is this idea that service is incredibly expensive. There are tons right. of points of failure, right? If you're, if you're trying to be everything, there are points of failure. So can we create self-checkout solutions that, that can be repaired at the site, at the store, by a store associate? So can we use that mobile device that an associate has mm -hmm. to actually guide them through fixing a, a, a point of sale, a, a, a self-checkout station? It's okay. going to be interesting. Yeah, that's interesting, definitely an interesting right? perspective. Right. I I have this one store, and I'm not going. I'm I won't name them. Um, that I go to, and I have for the past couple of months had a gift card on my phone, and every time I go there, the only option available is self checkout, and I know from experience that this self checkout does not take the gift card from my phone. So every single time I have to go up, find an associate, be like, I have a gift card on my phone. It doesn't work on self-checkout. I need you to open a register. And, you know, going back to the point of decision and the mobile devices, if that was an option, I would never have to go through, you know, basically taking an associate away from their job and what they're already doing to create a new checkout line. You got to wonder if self-checkout is just an intermediate step. Yeah, I, right. I believe it might be. It might be. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, we, we have Amazon Go with sensors mm -hmm. out the wazoo. And right. is that realistic? Is that, you know, there are, there were shopping tunnels and RFID and there, there are technologies that are going to make it easier. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's such a reconciliation, right? So do we make, eliminate friction from the customer journey, but then increase the potential for more shrink? And, and shoplifting and theft, right? How do you mm -hmm. start reconciling all of these things with different formats and different product sets? And it, 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 there's a lot to it. It's not just, a, uh, again, I'm using this phrase too many times today, but there's not a silver bullet to solving mm -hmm. this last part. A checkout is the most painful part of the shopping experience. Right. Hands down, the utter most painful part. Yep. That, that is, you know, hands down. So are we going to fix it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think... The approach of mobile point of sale is making it much easier. Again, you know, the the store associates are interacting with a device that they're used to interacting with um, mm -hmm. in their personal life. So it's definitely easing the friction. Um, you know, mobile point of sale software platforms are a lot more intuitive and easy to use than your your legacy system. So I think it, we are heading in the right direction. Yeah, I agree. Um, so. I mean, to kind of wrap things up, a lot of what we talked about comes back to retailers collecting shopper data and 
data on shopper behavior in order to improve the functionality of their employees and improve the shopper experience. So could you maybe give us a couple specific data points that retailers need to be um, looking at more closely um, in, let's say, this post-pandemic world, even though we're not quite there yet, um, to improve um, that experience? So I'm going to work backwards. I'm going to uh, give an example. There's a, a company in Japan that captures shopper behavior to identify candidates for shoplifting. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is the opposite of what we're talking about. We're talking about a negative behavior and how to catch it. But right. if you think about it, they know the underserved parts of the store. Right. Heat maps indicate the most popular parts and the, and the non-popular parts. So it turns out that if a shopper dwells in an un- unpopulated part of the store. If their face is obscured, and we know this now, got cameras all over the place, right. and they spend too much time there, that candidate—that's a candidate for shoplifting. Mm-hmm. So now, all you have to do to derail that is to approach that customer and say hi, and, and that's it. Right? Can we do the opposite? Can we start understanding what are the shopper behaviors that lead to a successful transaction, and start creating environments that where those naturally occur? Mm-hmm. Right. So we start taking advantage of the fact that we know that 90 percent of shoppers in the Western hemisphere are right handed kind of are going to go right. So is that that an important factor? Can we start using that information? Can Mm -hmm. we start understanding what the appropriate amount of dwell time is in a zone? Mm -hmm. Can we start understanding product adjacencies that are more productive than than others? Right. So you think about markdown strategies. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, there's two people involved in that conversation. There's the finance guy and, and the marketing team, or sorry, okay. the merchant team. And they get together and they say, okay, we're going to mark sweaters down 20%. We'll sell 2,000 of them. We mark them down 30%. We'll sell 3,000 of them. Well, what if we could apply human behavior to that? What's the most, what's the best, most productive adjacency for sweaters based mm-hmm. on e-commerce data, based on shopping baskets and retail environments? And what if we move the sweaters? turns out it's denim. We move the sweaters closer to denim. Mm-hmm. Can we make that markdown more productive without actually having to take a financial hit? And that's the kind of cool thing we're talking about is data sets that haven't normally lived together. Can we start incorporating them into the decisions we're making within retail environments? That's right. cool. Awesome. Well, Joe, I feel like I could definitely ask you many more questions about this topic. Um, this has been such an interesting and fun conversation and I appreciate your insight and coming on the podcast so much. So um, if any of our listeners want to connect with you further, can you tell them where to find you? Retail at sea.samsung.com. Awesome. And for Star Micronics, you can find us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can visit us at starmicronics.com. If you like today's episode, please leave us a positive review, give us a follow or subscribe. We really appreciate the support. Thanks, Joe.